Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, welcome to the first ever episode of Pace Laps. I'm your co-host, Matt Narvaez, a fan of motorsports since 2011. Across from myself is the other half of the show, and that is... RJ Starcevic, been a fan of the eSport for about as long as you have. Um, you know, like you said, this is a podcast made by the fans of racing for the fans of racing, so excited to get started. Yes, yes. The two of us will bring episodes weekly on the world of NASCAR. Today, we'll be diving into the 22nd race of the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series season, the Cookout 400 from the Richmond Raceway, going over some of the latest news in the sport and previewing this weekend's race at Michigan. Before we dive right in, RJ, I'd say we should give a little bit of background ourselves, like how long we've been fans of motorsports in particular and where we are in the industry so far and kind of what our aspirations are for the future. Yeah, for sure. We've done a lot of stuff uh, in the sport together. We've hosted other podcasts together um, for for brief time. We've done work at the racetrack together for sure. Obviously, we've been friends for a long time. Um, but you know, like we said at the beginning, fans of the sport. So we've kind of broadened on that and tried to turn it into a a career here as far as motorsports, not just NASCAR. Outside of motorsports, you're obviously a big Formula One fan, IndyCar fan as well. So uh, looking forward to getting the show here started and seeing what we can do. Certainly, yeah. I mean, we have really interesting perspectives on the sport i'd say sometimes we differ with things sometimes we find things the same way but we all always have a holistic respect for the sport and drivers alike so we always want to share our opinions on that and get in the sport that way and what's better than working in sports from my perspective i would say exactly you know that's how podcasts gotta go it's a little a little back and forth sometimes you know yeah exactly all right so let's dive right in chris busher won yesterday at the richmond raceway in virginia his third cup series career win and second with rfk racing those two victories stand as the only two since their rebrand in 2022 when Brad Kozlowski took part ownership of the team. From a playoff perspective, Busher was 111 points above the cutoff line in 12th. It doesn't change the picture too much as things get a little bit rambunctious down there with only four races left in the regular season. Some stats to throw at you before we kind of take our evaluation on the win. It's the first back-to-back winning season uh, for winning seasons for RFK Racing, uh, 2013 and 2014, complimentary of Carl Edwards. It is also the first back-to-back winning season for Chris Busher, of course, only his third career win. Um, your initial thoughts on the victory, RJ? Yeah, I think, like you said, it doesn't change the playoff picture a ton itself, but I think it changes the picture for RFK Racing. Uh, they've obviously had a really consistent season. Chris Busher's been strong. Brad Kozlowski's been strong. But to get that win, you know what a win means. It means a lot to our organization. Obviously, they ran very well all race. I mean, when it wasn't Chris Busher leading the last half of the race, it was Brad Kozlowski, his teammate slash owner. So a huge kind of a statement race for them uh, as far as getting into the playoffs, not just seeing themselves as a team that's run consistently, but maybe top 10 speed hasn't been able to get the win. Now they're a team. Now they're a race winning organization this season and kind of a season where we haven't as as many winners as last year. So they really put themselves, I think, into a much more tighter, stronger category than we saw last year because we haven't seen as many winners, as many people lead as many laps, get the job done like they have. Um, You know, doesn't change the playoff picture. They were already pretty much locked in the playoffs. But as far as for RFK racing, I mean, incredible amount of momentum to have not only have a win, but a win like they did leading so many laps and now they can carry that momentum, you know, throughout the rest of the year. Absolutely. I think, uh, as you noted, Brad Kozlowski, Chris Buescher, they're always fast. And before we even hopped on air, they're always quick at the same racetracks. When yeah. someone is in the top five, the other driver is only maybe a couple spots behind. One is in sixth place. One is in about 10th or 11th, right? And as you said before, there's not so many winners in this playoff. And that's what's a beautiful thing for this team. Last year, they were looking to get in the playoffs with wins. Now, they were already kind of, cemented into the top 16 in points and they're already ready to go to the playoffs with this win now they don't have to talk about points anymore Um, I think Chris said in his post-race interview when he said his crew chief was saying that they're a 6 to 15th place car on any given weekend and I would say that's pretty much right I don't see them anywhere drifting around the top 20 or anything like that they're always around that top 10 bubble and yeah like you said it's fantastic for a team to get a win that hasn't had a lot of wins in the last couple of years and by a guy who they invested in in the Xfinity series heavily over time. And this is a guy who won a 2015 Xfinity series championship for them, beat the defending champion from 2014, Chase Elliott. So there's a lot of investment with this guy. And I think even when Brad used to be at Penske uh, at the Wood Brothers 21 car, Brad really wanted Chris in that 21 car when Brian left it. So now for him to be working with him, kind of be his boss um, and mentor in a way, 
everything's moving the right way for RFK. And I think obviously the next gen car has some pretty good influence in that. So, um, you know, everything's going the right way for RFK. I could see a, a round of 12 entrance for them either way, six or 17 car, maybe both. It's going to be tough, obviously, but there's nothing that Brad hasn't shown with this team. Personally, you can be a really good championship winning driver over the years and running consistent for wins and, and being like a Joey Logano, Kyle Busch kind of driver. But to take a team from the bottom and kind of make them a C to a B level team. And of course, he makes the right hires. He cleans up the shop. New sponsors come in. But for me, Brad is that voice and he's that face of the, of the organization. You have Jack Roush, the other co-owner, who's a little bit older. Fenway, the Fenway Sports Group, who maybe not has a, a particular guy in front of that or a particular racing guy. And Brad shows that driver, a knowledgeable racing driver and a personality in the sport already. So he's able to evolutionize that team heavily. And that's what he's been doing so far. So it's fantastic um, for what um, Brad has been doing in that development of RFK. Yeah, for sure. And I think one more thing back on, you know, what the win means for the team. I think when you say consistency, as far as getting through the round of 16, the round of 12, I think the level of consistency that they've shown throughout the year would get them through the round of 16, the round of 12. What gets you through the round of eight into the championship round wins. So I think winning that race at Richmond, showing the dominance that they did really kind of puts them out there as somebody, you know, when people are making their playoff brackets now for the playoffs, you know, okay, they're going to have to think about that 17, think about the six and, you know, a note on what you said, Chris Busher is their driver that they're, you know, developing, uh, not, smart, not so much developed, you know, he is developed as a driver, but they're developing, developing him to be the guy of that team. You know, when Brad retires, Brad's, Brad's the guy right now. He's the owner of the team. He's the flagship driver driving the flagship car number six. But when Brad finally does retire, you know, Chris Busher, you know, given he's going to stay with that organization, he's going to be the flagship driver for that team. Who says in the future if RFK continues to improve, Ford continues to improve, because it's kind of been a rocky road for, for Ford this season. Stuart Haas hasn't yeah. been where they need to be. Penske probably hasn't been where they need to be as far as, you know, Logano, Blaney, Sindrick, uh, good win for Ford as well. Um, and RFK kind of, you know, putting themselves up at the top two Ford teams maybe right now, I would say. Yeah, I love you bringing that up because – we obviously think Stuart Haas has been the top four team over the last couple of years and Team Penske, of course, with Joey Logano's championships. Yeah. But for RFK to lead the Sunday charge of the all four drivers in the top 10, that's what's really mesmerizing to me. And that it gives them more momentum that like, OK, we're back. You know, we're not just a top team in the sport. But we're also consistently running in front of other four teams with the same equipment that they're kind of running with, you know, and, and obviously Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney have been up there. But yesterday, who led the majority of laps? RFK Racing. I mean, towards the end of that end of that race. So very impressive what they've been doing. And um, yeah, 2015 champion in Xfinity for them. Um, that's excellent. So everything that uh, Chris and RFK has been doing, um, that's great. And then everything that Kislowski has been fueling that project and fueling that effort. And as you said before, as we mentioned, last year when uh, Chris won at Bristol, uh, Brad was leading the majority of that race too until a problem happened and he didn't win. So he's kind of been picking up those pieces and that's what you need out of two teammates when it's only two cars, one car that's there. If they're fast, the other car is fast. One of them has a problem. The other one's there to pick up the pieces. Very formula one style in that way. Pocono gave the series much to talk about last week. Denny Ham Hamlin was obviously in the midst of it last week. He was on a final couple of restarts where Martin Trix jr. Kyle Larson and Denny Hamlin were all in the running for the win. And the fought, it was the second to final restart, right? that he kind of shoved up Kyle Larson. So Kyle Larson second is second to last. Yeah. Second to last. Yeah. So Kyle Larson is moving up the track a little bit off turn one and Denny kind of sees a lane. He pushes the issue, nudges Kyle Larson into the wall. Kyle still has enough speed to back down the little short shoot heading into the tunnel turn to kind of, you know, edge up towards Hamlin. But obviously a lot of people saw that was a dirty move more or less. Denny was met with a lot of booze at the start finish line when he got out and celebrated the win even where he grew up in Chesterfield, Virginia, not too far from the Richmond Raceway. Yesterday before the race started, he came out in uh, driver introductions and a lot of fans booed him. His hometown fans that he's won in front of multiple times. So on the restart with Chris, um, I'll let you explain it a little bit closer because I unfortunately did not see the race. Yesterday was yeah. a busy day for me. So I watched a lot of highlights, looked at a lot of the tweets or ex-tweets, as you'd say now. So yeah, how, how was that final restart? How was Denny treating Chris on that final restart? Well, certainly a restart nobody expected, but I think that was the first natural cause caution of the entire race. We had stage cautions, uh, but the race was green all the way. 
so we come in the last 10 laps, and it's very cliche to say, oh, boy, here's the time we're going to get a caution. We do. You know, Greg and Daniel Suarez got together. Caution comes out, and all of a sudden we got to tend to go restart for a race that had been green for 400 laps, you know, minus the stages. And so now it gives those people behind Chris Buescher, yeah, who they were already settling with a second, third, fourth place finish, but all of a sudden now they have a chance for a win. And so they're going to get greedy. And so Denny Hamlin um, played a little more cleanly than he did at Pocono. Um, and I think Chris Buescher, he took the strategy, he took the inside lane. We have the choose cone now. Um, so now you can choose the inside or the outside on the restarts. And as the leader, you were always able to do that. Um, but Chris Buescher took the inside on the restart, which hadn't really been the dominant lane on restarts all day. But I think, you know, as far as what the radio communication was, they were like, hey, don't let Denny Hamlin use you like he did, you know, to Kyle Larson last week. So I think he That's was going to say, hey, That's great. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm going to let this race get stolen away from me, it's not going to be me being on the outside and somebody hitting me out of the way. Um, so I think he wanted to take full control of that. Denny Hamlin had momentum on that outside, um, and he was coming. And going in that second last lap, I'm sure, as you saw in the highlights, he cooked it. Hamlin cooked it in the final corner, sent it all the way. They're three wide for second. Chris Buescher is able to to run away with the win. So like you said, it was much different than how last week's restart went. But I think with – what Denny Hamlin did at Pocono kind of premeditated Chris Buescher's decision, um, you know, with it only being seven days prior to that, saying, hey, don't let him use him up like he did last week to Kyle Larson. He goes and chooses the inside kind of can where you can dictate your own race on the inside. The outside lane might be better, but on the inside, if you really want to rough somebody up on the outside, you can. You can just run them up as far as the track as you possibly can. Especially on a short track like Richmond. I mean, exactly. Or Pocono, you're probably watching the inside a little bit because they could, you know, move up, lose a little bit of ground on the bottom. Richmond, you know, you want to be holding that line on the bottom, lower speed racetrack. Outside's a little more vulnerable in that situation, yeah, I would say. Exactly. And I know we'll talk about what the race kind of looked like here in a few, but as far as that final restart, which really was the only point of the race where it was like, you know, okay, anything can really happen here. What was cleaner than probably most people thought? Uh, I know Denny Hamlin in his post-race interview said that, like, hey, that was his race to win anyways. I just got a second chance at it. You know, a miracle chance to try and go win that race and hope that he messed up, you know, instead of being the super aggressor in that situation like he maybe was in Pocono um, where he had, you know, been a very strong car that race, led laps, uh, and didn't want somebody to take that away from him and sent Kyle Larson into the wall. So uh, we saw during the race Kyle Larson hit the 11 car back, uh, trying to get his lap back um, on fresh tires. So Larson said that he's not a guy to have his tempers flare crazily and go after somebody with his fists, maybe. But you definitely uh, know that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Never go, seen that happen. <laughs> exactly. He'll go after somebody with his race car, though, and he said he's going to race Denny Hamlin a little bit differently. So we'll see how that pans out as we get in the playoffs. You know, we got four races left uh, before the playoffs begin. Things are only going to get crazier, though. Right, in respect to Larson, I mean, Denny and Larson are quite a difference in size, let's be honest here. They so, are. Yeah. And friends off the track. And friends off the track, so you don't want to be throwing a haymaker to your friends. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, from my perspective, I think that was kind of in Denny's thought process, right? Yeah. I mean, last week the controversy comes all week. Everybody is talking about it. Of course, there were some other things that happened at Pocono, but nothing that was going to create some long-lasting friend or championship feud, you know? Um, so do you think that was in Denny's mind a little bit coming into the race? And then, you know, he was still in contention for the win this weekend. So would that be in his mind to calm down and race other guys a little bit uh, safely? I think so. But it's weird because if you go throughout the week, he has his own podcast. Now he gets to speak his mind. He had his post-race interviews and he had his pre-race interviews before this week. And obviously that's the topic of discussion. They're all asking him that same question. Hey, what did you mean when you did that? Do you still feel the same way you did when you got out of the race car and yep. say, Hey, I didn't touch him. And he's doubled down, he's tripled down on mm -hmm. that statement uh, that, hey, I didn't touch him. You know, I just raced him, did nothing wrong because there's a lot of drivers that, you know, he did the same thing to Ross Chastain a year ago, right? Yep. And he got out of the car and said, yeah, I ran him out of room. I put him in the fence. You know, he said, I think the quote was, what do you think was going to happen uh, with all the battles they had had throughout the year? So, you know, for him to kind of change the perspective, I think, on an incident that really looked the same as it was the previous year to say, oh, I didn't mean that. I didn't touch him. You know, I was just racing hard. Um, I think that was interesting. And I think in one of Larson's interviews, he had said like, hey, like this kind of made me more upset throughout the week for him to be doubling down on that instead of, you know, saying, OK, maybe I was in the wrong here, raced him a little too hard, messed up his race. Um, he just said, yeah, I didn't touch him. You know, nonchalant. You know how Denny Hamlin can be nonchalant. He was just yes. like, yeah, I didn't touch him. A little I didn't muted. Do nothing. So yeah. I think that part was interesting. So I don't think that's going to change how Hamlin races people uh, because he feels like he was right. Uh, last week and partly because he was wrong so many times in his career exactly yeah. and uh, what was that 
quote uh, that Larson said, where he said, Denny Hamlin's always right. Always All right. All the friends always know that Denny Hamlin's always right. Always so, right. Yeah. yeah, see how that goes. I think Hamlin's not afraid to, to you know, have a rivalry or two or three uh, throughout a season. So oh, for sure. <laughs> people took note, even his own teammates, um, of what that move was. Sets a precedent for sure on how you're going to be raced. So I think he needs to be aware of that. But I don't think he's sitting there like, I'm not going to run somebody up the track again because of what happened last week. I think he'll do it again. I don't think he'll do it three times throughout the rest of the year. It's just going to create a precedent throughout the garage of saying, okay, well, if he feels that's okay for him to do it to us, we're on the inside of him on a restart. Why can't I push him into the wall? Use him up a little bit. I think we're going to see that. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And and not just that. I think not because it was just this past week at Pocono. I think Danny probably was a little more reserved on a guy like Chris, right? Yeah. Chris is not a guy who's been in contention for a ton of wins up at the front late in the races where it's like Kyle Larson, who used up Bubba Wallace last year at Las Vegas, who is Denny Hamlin's driver on his team, Bubba Wallace. Yeah. Um, so he kind of wrecked his own machines there. And I guess that was a little bit, not payback, but okay, this guy races some guys this way, so I'm going to race him like that too, and I'm going to use him up a little bit. Also, I think Denny wanted to win at Pocono again and get that win that he lost last year in a yeah. disqualification. So a little bit of a push there, but obviously you want to win any races you can. And at Richmond, obviously another chance to win the race. Probably didn't want to use up Chris that much, only because I don't feel like they've raced around each other a lot for wins, right? Yeah. So there's not that precedent set between them, um, opposed to where Denny was with Ross a year ago. Let's take this to a widened perspective. Unfortunately, like I said, I did not get to see the entire race, but tuning into the highlights and everything, yeah. there's a general agreement that the racing wasn't the best, similar to how we've seen Richmond ra races in the past. Dale Jr. said after the race that Richmond could be at a benefit of using a lot of resin in the higher lanes. I know you watched the whole race. Where do you take it from an entertainment standpoint? Should fans feel that way? Or obviously, there's a strategy level to it, and then there's short track racing with a lot of contact. I know you like a little bit of both. So what's your perspective on it? Yeah, I think the next-gen car, I always lean to the next-gen car. We've seen some tracks that are really good for short track racing. We've seen the Xfinity Series put on great races there. We've seen even the Truck Series put on great races at certain tracks. Not just speaking about Richmond. I'm even talking about the Bristol Night Race because we went, we took the next-gen cars to the Bristol Night Race last year, and it just wasn't a great show. Mm -hmm. It wasn't kind of like we what we have seen out of the Bristol Night Race. So when we, you know, when we, when we took them there and then see great race, that is when we had, you know, the talk about the next-gen car is this, you know, are we doing it right here as the short tracks? Have we ruined the short tracks? And as we speak, as we record this podcast, they're testing a new package yes. at Richmond to try and improve the racing. But I think, you know, what we watched the truck race on Saturday night, or I watched the truck race on Saturday night. Same thing. The race was pretty much green all throughout. I know they used to call the track the action track, and a lot of people said it's not the action track anymore, which I think is right. You know, throughout the years we've been going here, even the Xfinity races we see in the spring, the cup races we see in the spring and what we've seen throughout the last three, four, five years, I'd even say to stretch to them hasn't really been too much of the action track. We've seen a lot of strategy though. Um, you know, in this race, we saw people differing between a one stop and two stop strategy, kind of like you see in F1, you know, the race is going to be green all the way, you know, there's not going to be too much chaos, but you're tuning in to see, obviously you're tuning in to see racing, but a lot of people are tuning in to see what strategy people are going to pull. Um, so that's kind of how the last 100, 200 laps of the race at Richmond unfolded. But some people obviously don't like that, love it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, would I prefer to see a beat banging short track race? Probably over yep. some strategy race. But I think once in a while, it's good to see a race like that. The racing overall can still be good while you have strategy in it. So I think that's the thing that you need to look at. And that's what they're testing today to get the racing better. But as far as what the overall race went, um, I wasn't too bored. You know, it wasn't the most entertaining race in the world. But I think the strategy, even if we didn't have that 10-to-go restart, I don't think we really needed that at all. I don't think it added anything to the race. I think overall, when that race finished, you still would have said, yeah, that was a long race. It wasn't the most entertaining in the world. There's a lot of strategy that went on. Hey, we got a, a surprise winner. We got a new winner here. And I feel like we've seen that sometimes in races that break out in long strides that we've seen surprise winner. That's what happened at Bristol. We didn't see many cautions at Bristol back last year. That's how Chris Buescher got his first win with RFK. So, um, you know, it, it wasn't the most entertaining race in the world. I think adding resin up at the high lanes would be something to explore because we've seen people try to use the outside, but obviously it's nowhere near the dominant lane to the inside, but it's an option for people that are riding around. I don't know if it's like better on tires maybe because I notice a lot of people in the back of the pack that are riding around are using that outside lane. So I don't know if it's like a tire saver or something to use when you're riding around to make sure you're out of the way of the people on the inside. It definitely winds up the track a bit, but, you know, resin seemed to work at Nashville. 
I think they added it at New Hampshire once, I believe. Um, they've added a few places where I think it's worked. Um, I'm glad we've done away with PJ1. As you know, I have not liked PJ1 for like A lot of memes on PJ1 over the last couple PJ1 years. traction compound, <laughs> no bueno. Yes. Um, but adding the resin, I think, would be something to explore. For a track like Richmond, which I think is a nice racetrack, it's a nice turnout. We had a great turnout, uh, I think, for that race yesterday. It was amazing. Uh, yeah. The crowd was... Yeah, front stretch looked great. Packed. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, stands were full. And that's what you want. Um, you know, I think is a track that would benefit from having one race on the schedule, like we talked about uh, before the show with New Hampshire, Pocono, being downsized to one race. And I think both races now are great. I think they're very worthy of having a race on the schedule, but one race. So downsizing Richmond to one race on the schedule would do something for sure. Maybe making a night race again as well, like a day to night little transition race, nice 400 miler. There's a lot of different things to explore. But like you said, the main topic that you brought up was the race entertaining. Was the most entertaining race in the world, but do we need to make any drastic changes besides with the package of the race car? I don't think so. You're going to have those long runs. You're going to have strategic races here and there. We're going to go to Michigan next week where it's probably going to be more chaos. Yeah, this last four-week stretch, I think, is going to bring a lot more excitement. Like when we had yeah. um, Nashville, obviously excitement from there. The atmosphere is up. And then we went to Chicago Street Course Race. And the next couple of races from there, we had Atlanta right after. We kind of went in this little lull since New Hampshire, but New Hampshire and Pocono were actually pretty decent races, yeah. I would say. So now we kind of hit a little bit of a stump here with, with Richmond. But yeah, fast track next week could bring a lot of excitement, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, Michigan's a very fast track. I'm excited for the high speed. Sometimes to just, you know, after you get a lot of shorter tracks, uh, it's exciting just to see a track with a lot of a lot of fast speeds. And so I think the next gen car at Michigan, I can't remember exactly the product of a race it provided last year but i think it was a pretty solid race i know we got kevin auto Harvick. club was great I mean, auto club was great for comparison that you is know, very true. similar track i know we're not unfortunately it's not as wide as auto club you can't run the wall at michigan uh, i think they do do resin at michigan i think possibly um i don't know if they would Maybe. do if they're putting anything on the track this year but i know yep. they have in years past um where it hasn't improved the racing a ton but it's been something it's added some outside lanes um, but definitely excited for a race like Michigan. Uh, but, you know, like you said, I think, you know, one of our next topics here as well is talking about manufacturers. We were just talking about Ford. Good on the short tracks, it seems like, this year. Had a dominant race at Richmond, even Joey Logano getting up there towards the end. Who's going to be, you know, the, the, the quickest on these bigger tracks? You know, Toyota's been on a really great string lately. Ford's starting to come back. Okay, so what's happened to Chevy here a little bit lately? You know, we know Byron got in victory lane at Atlanta a little bit ago. Larson hasn't seen victory lane in a little bit. Alex Bowman and Chase Elliott are both looking to really hit a stride here to get in the playoffs. So I think as we turn our heads to Michigan, it's like, okay, can Chevrolet get back in stride here? Trackhouse racing, a slump. Where have they been? Daniel Suarez, Missing. I don't even think broke the top 25 yesterday. Ross Chastain don't think broke the top 15 uh, for a team that has been dominant this year. Ross Chastain just won at Nashville, but I think it's just so track-based with them. And there's obviously much room for it, but we're talking about a third-year organization. I get it. So it's hard to put these expectations on them, but they are expected to be a championship organization. So, you know, are they going to come back here? We'll see. But I think it's, uh, like like you said, like we're going to talk about in a second, the manufacturer battle here. going to be really interesting to watch because I think every year, I think we've talked about this for years, like it's always a swing throughout the year. You know, I feel like Chevy's start off the year a little bit more dominant. Toyota's come along the middle of the year, and then Ford's find them. Ford's are dominant here and there, and then they end up with a championship at the end of the year. Yes, Joe Lugano yes, won, the, won the title last year. You right. sometimes forget. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how, how, how everything pans out and see what kind of race we see this week. Yeah, those are great points that you quickly covered because we're going to talk about the manufacturers in just a oh, moment yeah. and then talk about you know how Toyota and Ford kind of dominated the race yesterday. But quick thing for anybody that's listening and doesn't understand what resin is, it's like a traction yeah. compound that NASCAR goes ahead and applies on some short tracks or tracks that need some help in making two lanes. So like an inside lane, if that's the preferred lane by drivers, that's going to be the lane that every driver chooses because it's the fastest way around the racetrack. But we want to bring alternative lanes to help drivers pass the drivers on the inside. So we put resin on the top side of the track on the outside lane so we can help out the outside lane have some momentum, carry speed off the corner to pass the drivers on the inside. It's all in effort just to make more of an entertaining race. That's pretty much what it is. Nothing more complicated than that. Of course, we've had PJ1 in the past. Resin has been something that was used early on, I believe, in Bristol. I think they tried that early on in Bristol, yeah. if I'm not uh, They mistaken. used PJ1 at Bristol, and it, it early on. it. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. On. It made it really, really nah, greasy, it like, right? Slimy <laughs> yeah, and stuff. It took, yeah. like, it took 400 laps for a race to 
get interesting yes. at Bristol, I felt like, when, when yes. they heavy had PJ1 on that sure. bottom. When the PJ1 was heavy, it's glue, and everyone's picking that lane yes. to where it's like, where it's kind of like you're reversing what you just did because now you're just making the PJ1 dominant, and then anywhere else but the PJ1 is, you know, bad territory. So mm -hmm. you're kind of just like doing the same thing, just flipping it. Like now the outside is dominant. Nobody wants to go on the inside. And before it was everyone wanted on the inside. Nobody wanted the outside. So the resin, I think with the resin, um, like you said, I think it what what more so the resin was in the PJ1, I think it just changed throughout the race. I think you have to go on it to like activate it. Right. I think that was the term that Dale Jr. always used because Dale Jr. is the big guy, resin guy. Like yes, he said, yes. that he tweet, posted the he tweet, I'm it, sure yes. anything wrong with the track, he's like, I'll put that resin out there, you know, we got to get it, you know. So he's, <laughs> he's a big resin uh, advocate. Supporter, yes. Um, but I think it's like it had, we haven't had any bad experiences with it. So, hey, put it on Richmond, let's see what happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I would say to say, not save the track necessarily because they're still, still selling tickets. And yeah. it's a great thing that you said one venue has one date kind of thing it's Pocono New Hampshire we've seen it with that and more people show up Pocono had an amazing crowd just yeah. a week ago amazing crowd okay. and we could hear all of them at the end of the race when they were booing Denny Hamlin that's something that Richmond I think could benefit from that front stretch was packed I think turn one and turn two were kind of missing some fans a little bit yeah. here and there but the more we go ahead and do one a date for one racetrack we get people out there like, okay, this is my only time to go see it. So I can't choose that date. Exactly. That's two months later exactly. or anything like that. And then I know before we hopped on in front of the mics, you said, let's get it to a day night transition. Kyle Bush even noted it. He said it would be great for a nighttime race because it's so hot during the day, yeah. but also because he just loves his track at night, I believe. But he said it wasn't great for the racing, which we know that over time night track night races haven't been as exciting maybe as yeah. a day race. It's not as hot. So the track's not as slick. But yeah, I think, like you said, I totally agree with the day-night transition because I hate when tracks have lights and they're not used. But yeah, let's uh, let's move on from that. I said I did not watch the majority of the race, which was true. Um, I closely watched the first stage, though, and I initially thought it was going to be a Toyota-dominated race, but I was completely I wrong. Yeah, I was completely wrong, just like I thought Chase Elliott was going to finish well because uh, he was running in the top five for majority of that first stage. Tyler Reddick did win stage one with 23-11 racing, a Toyota team. But teammate uh, Bubba Wallace took the lead on the restart at the beginning of stage two. It all quickly changed just a, uh, hundred, about, what was it, like 50, 60, 80 laps later. I think uh, Bubba led a decent amount of laps. Yeah. And Brad Kozlowski assumed the lead towards the latter half of stage two. And Chris Buescher finished second behind him when Brad eventually won the stage. Neither looked back. Obviously, they led the majority of the final stretch of the race, barring green flag pit stops when Martin Trix Jr. and Denny Hamlin reassumed the lead just for a little bit there. Even Kevin Harvick was in the lead for a little bit during uh, green flag stops. What's your take on Ford's performance? This is getting into the manufacturer. Quickly, before we start that, I think Chevrolet obviously had the upper hand in the beginning of part of the year. Toyota kind of started coming about when Denny Hamlin and Martin Trix Jr. started running up front, and they won their races. And we've seen Christopher Bell... Uh, has Christopher Bell won a race this year? I forget. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He yes. Has, he's visited Victory Lane. I can't I can't recall the track for some reason, but he made, he made it there. He, he has a win. Okay. He's locked into the playoffs. <laughs> okay, okay, good, good, good. All right, Ty Gibbs is the only one that doesn't, of course, yes. a rookie and everything like that, so that's okay. But yeah, so Chevrolet started a great season, and then Toyota started ramping it up, and then Ford has picked their wins there a little bit. Joey Logano got a win early, and then Ryan Blaney got the big win at the Coke 600. Ford's performance at short tracks has been getting better and better. The high-speed racetracks, I know Blaney had the win at Charlotte. Despite that, they haven't been that great at really, really high-paced racetracks. What's your take on Ford's performance? Where can they go from here? Momentum is, momentum is a real thing in racing, but you got to bring the best stuff to the track. And if Toyota keeps on bringing really good uh, race cars to every single weekend and Chevrolet kind of is a hit or miss sometimes, but Hendrick's consistently there, how does Ford overcome that? Yeah, Toyota's a big summer team. Uh, when you yep. think Sonoma, you think Toyota. Yes. Uh, when you think New Hampshire, you think Toyota. When you think, uh, just like last weekend, you think Richmond, you think Toyota. Um, and so we've gone to these racetracks, and Toyota has maybe not been the exact favorite, but I feel like in the past they've been the favorite. And now that Martin Drix Jr. is hitting a stride, Denny Hamlin seems to be hitting a stride. Ty Gibbs being very consistent. I mean, he seems like a top 10 car the last three to four weeks. I feel like he's been up there. Um, and same with Christopher Bell. Uh, putting himself in the conversation for like a championship for it's fourth returns right now again so, exactly yeah. he's been very consistent this year was the points leader at some point as well yes. earlier in the year um so you know i i think ford uh it's good that they can kind of build a little momentum here because they certainly need it 
you look at Stuart Haas Racing, all cars finished inside the top 11 this week. That was a great statistic that I saw this morning. Uh, Kevin Harvick, Chase Briscoe, Eric Amarola, and Ryan Priest had a wonderful race uh, finishing in the top five. Uh, so great for Ryan Priest. But they need to build momentum. Um, Joey Logano is always consistent. He's always there at the end of a race, at the end of a season, as we saw last year. This has always been my big thing with Penske is like somebody, one of their drivers ends up in the championship for every year, no matter how much, no matter how their year was, no matter if we said no times throughout the year that they were a championship favorite, they're going to end up there. Uh, so will that be Joey Logano or will that be Ryan Blaney this year? We'll have to see it. But Joey Logano always going to be consistent. Ryan Blaney always consistent. Needs to get more in victory lane a little bit more. I'm sure him and his team agree, obviously. They got that big Coke 600 win, but they want to see victory lane some more. Austin Sindrick needs to definitely pick it up a little bit. Obviously, he's going to need a win if he get if he's going to get in the playoffs. Having that sophomore slump, which we've seen throughout the Cup Series Plenty all the time. times. Yep. Exactly. Byron. We've seen some of the best yep. drivers right now go through sophomore slumps. So mm-hmm. I think Sindrick is such a talented driver. He'll pick it up throughout his career, and you know they're not going to get rid of him very fast. So he knows he has time. Stuart Haas Racing itself hasn't had a strong year, but they're getting a little bit of momentum. Richmond's a little bit of momentum. It's huge. Sure. I mean, all cars huge. in the top 11, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a big statistic for them. But we know Kevin Harvick's their flagship guy. We know he's going to pick it. We know he's going to be their top championship, probably their only championship can, contender this year, let's be honest. But when he goes away, who's that going to be? Right. Is who is who on that team is going to step up and be Stuart Haas Racing's flagship driver? I can give you an early guess. It's not going to be his replacement, Josh Berry. I'll say that. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I, I don't know. But, you know, it, it's going to be tough for them to find somebody like that. So as far as forward, their momentum, their best consistent team right now, I feel like the last three to four weeks altogether possibly has been RFK. I think going into the playoffs, as far as consistency, I think they're there. As far as history, it's going to be Penske. Um, but as far as overcoming Toyota and Chevrolet right now, I'm still putting them at third. I just think Chevrolet is eventually going to pick it back up. Hendrick's going to pick it back up. Trackhouse is going to pick it back up. But maybe Ford will show me something these next few weeks. You know, maybe they'll go back to back wins at Michigan. Um, you know, Kevin Harvick won last year, getting that first win, ending that winless streak of, you know, 70, 80 races, whatever it was at that point. And now you have going into Michigan off a win. They haven't been fast at those super fast tracks. Obviously, it's Brad Kozlowski's hometown. He wants to perform well there. That'd be Michigan. a little mojo there. For exactly, sure. little mojo. Yeah. Ryan Blaney's been good at Michigan in the past. Yes. He's contended for mm-hmm. wins. But even after their win last year, just going into Michigan, I'm still going to put Toyota and Chevrolet above them right now. I feel like going into the race weekend, I feel like Ford still has to show me something. Like you said, on the bigger tracks. Hey, they've been really good at the short tracks this year. They did really good at Richmond. Show me something on these bigger tracks, you know, these, the, even the intermediates when we go back to a track like Kansas, when we go back to Las Vegas. I feel like they need to show me something a little bit more for me to consider putting them above Toyota or Chevrolet right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it gives a little bit of kick in the butt to like Penske. Over the last couple of years, I yeah. know we've talked about it on previous podcasts before, other programs where Penske usually fades out in the summertime. Yep. And then they kind of just have a good race here and there, especially last year. I think it was like gateway time, Sonoma time. Joey Logano was nowhere near the top five. Yeah. He was hopping in and out of the top 10, just top 15. Out. Yeah, hanging out, struggling, frustrated, trying to figure out whatever he needed to do. And then towards the end of the year, they figure it out. Right now, RFK kind of has it figured out. I mean, even yeah. at the faster tracks, like you said, they've still been leading the charge for Ford. And it's not just where Richmond placed in the schedule in the middle of a couple of tougher racetracks for them. And now they're all surprising us up in the top 10. RFK has consistently been there. You touch on Stuart Haas Racing. SHR has had an abysmal year for the exception of Kevin Harvick, of course, a champion, yeah. experienced and well-marinated with his crew chief. Great marriage there. Um, Ryan Priest, top five. Um, top five finish, right? Fifth place. Chase Briscoe had a great finish. I think he was 11th, right? Kevin Harvick finished in the top 10. Yeah, Kevin Harvick was inside the top 10. I believe Eric Amarola quietly got himself quietly got in the, the top, top 10. 10. And uh, he had a tough race, too. He had a penalty or tire problem throughout the middle did, yeah. of the race. Yeah, so he fought his way back. And that's some true resilience, yeah. I would say. You know, when you have the speed, you want to capitalize on it. And if there's a couple of mistakes earlier in the race, you want to get back up towards the front. So there's potential there. And there's a lot of short tracks in the playoffs. So that helps out RFK or the four car or any other Stuart Haas racing car, Penske car that will be in the playoffs and can make a deep run into it. Now, this is us saying Ford might not be the top, you know, manufacturer right now. Never count out the 22 car. I'd love to say Ryan Blaney will be in the final four. 
I don't think that's a bad guess considering how, where he is in the points. I believe he's third in the points. He splits the Toyotas. So I believe that's him because Ross Chastain fell out of the top five in the points um, with some, you know, rough running that he's been having. So where we look at Penske and uh, Joey and Ryan, I would love to put Ryan in the same ca- category as Joey, but Joey has consistently year in, year out shown that he's in the final four. He's been in the final four since its inception every other year, ex- you know, every other even year. So it's um, it's quite impressive. And even when four doesn't seem like they're running the best. Um, now let's wrap up with Richmond. Um, switching to what happened this past weekend in the news of NASCAR, the CW signs a broadcasting rights deal for the Xfinity series starting in 2025 worth $115 million per year. That's a lot of money for the Xfinity series. Yes. A ton. Uh, NASCAR will use their in-house productions and utilize a newly built facility in Charlotte, North Carolina. Of course, the home of NASCAR. Quickly, for anybody that's listening, does not know what the Xfinity Series is. It is technically the collegiate level of NASCAR. Veterans can make their name made, made in the Xfinity Series. They can have a career there. I mean, Justin Allgaier is 30-something years old, has a wife and kids. It's not just a bunch of 19- to 22-year-olds making their name in the sport, but it technically is just a lower cup series, and they race on Saturdays. Um, I have my opinions on it, the whole CW NASCAR deal, but my worries might be a little bit too early to know. So what was your initial reaction on the news? Because I had no idea this was going to happen. For sure. Yeah, I had no idea what the details were going to be like. I know people were interested in getting the rights to the Xfinity series. And, it, you know, at first it, it, it's interesting. It catches your eye because you're like, okay, networks are reaching out for the Xfinity series. You know, just primarily all 33 races on their network. They're going to produce it, you know, themselves, put out their own broadcast. You know, me personally, you know, I have my opinions. I think the Xfinity Series is the greatest stock car show uh, going on right now. Yep. Um, I think the racing is incredible every weekend, week out. And like you said, the the field of racers here, you got the big teams. You got more powerhouse teams in this series than we've ever seen. And you got the mix of like family-owned teams that are doing really well, trying to keep up with these guys. The mix of veteran drivers in this series with drivers that are 19 to 22 trying to get themselves to the Cup Series. Um I think the dynamic of the series just provides for really, really great racing, uh, really great storylines as well. But let's get to talking about this deal here. I think CW, I don't know too much about it, too much about the channel. I know uh, they have a deal with Live Golf is something that I heard that they present. Live and the Golf. ACC, I, I believe, as well. I believe um, so as well. Yeah. So I, I think this, this could be good or bad, like we were saying. I think it's too early to depict between the two. But like we were saying on the way here, I think it could be good or bad. Um, I think good as in, you know, it has its own presenter now, all 33 races. It's going to be very exclusive to the Xfinity Series. This will uplift the Xfinity Series big time if everything goes to plan because that bad side could be the production. Will the production be right? You know, Will the broadcasts feel right? Are they going to put enough effort into it that you know all three of the 33 races won't be a drag You know, watching it on TV like it is watching races on FS1 sometimes, let's be honest, yes. for the truck, truck series. series coverage. Yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> are they going to put enough effort yep. into it to where it seems like, you know, it's going to be worth watching for viewers, for new viewers as well. Um, Cause I'm just a person that thinks broadcasting and presentation is a huge part of people getting invested on TV. Cause I feel like a lot of people nowadays, they're going to want to get invested on the broadcast first, then going in person. They're going to see it on TV, see it on the internet and then go in person. So I'd say that's a very big way for them to get into the sport exactly. first off, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So as long as the presentation is good, um, it's a good sign that it seems like they dropped a bag on it. They send a lot mm-hmm. of money to get this Xfinity series. So if they spend a lot of money, hopefully they're going to put a lot of effort into it to make this deal worth it, to make this deal last. Cause to, to spend a bunch of money on it and then not put the effort and then it's lackluster. And then people are complaining about it. Cause then why did you really start that deal in the first place? So obviously it's a deal that had been in the works for a while. It's going to start in 2025, so we have about a year and a half to this thing really gets going. So a lot of time for details to come out, broadcasting crews to come out to really see you know, how this production is going to be. It's going to be produced by NASCAR. That could also be a good thing uh, that they'll put effort into it to make sure that their sport is being produced well. So we'll see. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah. First off, I wasn't too happy about it only because I know the CW and I know the kind of shows that they put on I there. I don't. I have no idea. So sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm just riffing. <laughs> There's a lot of YA, like young adult shows on that channel. Yeah. And as much as that's great and all, I know the CW, obviously, they're, you mentioned ACC and also Live Golf. Um, they produce the 100 Days to Indy, oh. Indy Car Show on there. It's fantastic for those reasons because you, I can see they're pushing in a sports 
market, you know, direction. Yeah. They want to go into sports. Um, I think there is obviously they got to start somewhere like Fox, NBC. Where did they start with their sports? Well, they had to buy into leagues like Fox bought into the NFL. NBC bought into golf maybe early on or the NFL and the CW is pushing towards that as well. They're trying to buy, you know, maybe lower markets, maybe second degree uh, sporting divisions like ACC of college or uh, NASCAR Xfinity series for this case. NASCAR has been in recent talks with Amazon Prime the last couple of months. A couple of weeks ago, I think we knew that those talks were eventually dead. So yeah. CW must have been in the running at that same time now that it's announced. That would have put NASCAR Xfinity series behind a paywall. Of course, Amazon Prime, you have to pay for that service membership where the CW is completely free. You download their app, you hop in there, and then you just choose whatever you want to watch. You don't even need a um, cable network subscription or anything like that. So that's it's great on that point. You know, you can hop in there and just watch it right away. There's no confusion about needing to log in or big NASCAR Twitter guys like Bob Pockris or Jeff Gluck to say, oh, you need your login from your cable network. No, just download the app and watch it right away because a lot of people are getting rid of their cable um, services. So the Xfinity series had 982,000 viewers on average in 2021. I couldn't find the 2022 number. We know that Xfinity hops around that 800 something to 1.2, 1.3 million viewership, I would say. Of course, there's plenty of races that exceed that. I know in the beginning of the season when the hype is real, there's 1.4, 1.5 million viewers for the Xfinity series Daytona opener. The only problem I have with it is that I love when the Cup series is obviously on the same network as Xfinity. That's how it's been. Since I started watching NASCAR, you yeah. as well. It's been like that, I want to say, for since Xfinity series started and, and TV broadcast deals got put together for NASCAR. When we watch the Xfinity series on NBC and then we watch the Cup series qualifying, right? Qualifying's in the morning, let's say, like how it used to be, or qualifying's on Friday night. NBC wraps up, the crew says, All right, tomorrow is this slate of stuff, and we have. The Xfinity series race at 2.30 or 12.30 or whatever. Now that we're not on the same schedule, on the same network, will they toss it to, okay, now you got to go see the Xfinity series race on the CW. It's not that self-promotion that NASCAR can give themselves. We know that the Cup Series broadcasting right is still up in the air. Could they be on the CW? I would imagine NASCAR wouldn't put their premier series in a position where they have to use NASCAR productions for the first time. Where do we see that cross-promotion? That's my main worry, is that we'll lose that, hey, you're a NASCAR fan, I know you watch the Cup Series, but hey, this Xfinity Series race tomorrow, you have nothing to do on Saturday? Watch this too, you know? And it's all connected. And it's the same people that are talking about it, Rick Allen, Steve Lattar, Jeff Burton, Dale Jr., and all the same pit road crew that is there, and it's very familiar for fans. Now it's a whole new system, and as you said, they want to put their best foot forward to producing it themselves, it comes down to the people that they're going to hire. There's a lot of free agents out there. Matt Yoakum in the pit road. Alan Bestwick obviously has been doing SRX races. Those are two really high talented journalists in our sport and or I've been surrounded by our and surrounded in our sport for a while. That's my worry for it. I would say, yes, it's still, still plenty of time. We have a year and a half. They're going to take some time to really put in some stuff. I would love for the CW to potentially rebrand themselves create a new name for themselves, CW Sports, or create some type of subdivision for themselves to go ahead and say, okay, we're this, this is our brand originally, but now we're heading into sports and this is us now. This is how we're going to produce NASCAR and produce other sports that we're going to get over the next couple of years. NASCAR, you know, hooking up with them early, this could be big. I mean, it could be big and and it could proves to be worthwhile in this seven-year deal. It's seven years, and that's what you have to remind yourself. It's going to elevate. It's going to get better as well. The first year might be a little bit rough, or it might not be exactly what we're thinking or exactly what we want. But from forward, uh, from moving forward from 2025 uh, or at the end of 2024, hopefully we can only expect the best things out of them. Exactly, for sure. I I think that's a good part of it. It's going to be a long-term deal. A lot of room for progression. I think it's being NASCAR produced, they're going to take a lot of advice from the fans, I think, on producing these broadcasts and hopefully improve it as need be. Like I said, there's a lot of good free agents out there. The broadcast crew could be great. I'd say get Carl Edwards in the booth, Alan Best. You could build an all-star booth here. And throughout the year, they're all going to stay tuned with Xfinity Series storylines only. You know, it's going to be – they're going to be going very in-depth on the Xfinity Series, which I think will be cool just for, you know – avid Xfinity lovers like me. Yes. Um, same know, here, same to, here. Yes. Exactly. To, yeah. um, you know, to see those storylines pan out throughout the year. So 
definitely a lot of upside for it, potential downside. But as we get closer to 2025 and then beyond for the next seven years, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And moving on from that, going back to the Cup Series, I know this is a very majority Cup Series episode, the Chase Elliott situation. Every week they're asking him, what is uh, what is your plan to win this weekend? And obviously he's like, same as it is always every weekend. We're going to try to win. What's the point situation like? Leaving New Hampshire two races ago, he was minus 60 points. Now he's minus 40, leaving Richmond. Four more races to go in the playoffs. Theoretically, he only had to do 60 points, knock off 10 points from the playoff cut line in six weeks. He's done that in a way, 20 points in two weeks. Do you think he gets in? Do you think he can get in on points? I think there's a big potential because we have two road courses coming up, uh, Indianapolis, which is going to be very star-studded. So it's going to be an interesting to see how that race pans out. Then we go to Watkins Glen, where he's been very successful at in the past. Um, almost unbeatable until Kyle Larson comes on, you know. So been very successful at Watkins Glen, very successful at Indy. They haven't shown the speed that we've expected out of them lately, um, even at the Chicago street course. But just given the history, given the track history, Hendrick, Chase Elliott, I think there's a big potential he gets the win. But also, even if he doesn't win with how the points gap has went, if he just has his normal top five runs at these two road course races, I don't expect anything big out of them at Michigan, to be honest, because we haven't seen huge speed and he just hasn't really ever been a player at Michigan either. You know, if we see that speed at Indy and Watkins Glen, you could see him cut that points gap even smaller. But you worry about people like Michael McDowell, who is that last person above the cutoff, who is basically running usually two, three spots behind Chase Elliott at these road courses, to be honest. He is right there in the conversation. So if nothing goes wrong for Michael McDowell, he's going to make it hard for Chase Elliott to get in the playoffs, which is interesting to say. Um, you know, Obviously, yes. there's been a lot of events that have happened this year, but saying Michael McDowell is going to make it hard for Chase Elliott to point his way into the playoffs is an interesting statement. But then we go to Daytona, that cutoff race, where a 20-point gap can be changed to minus 10 in a crash. You know, So Daytona is going to be so unpredictable. A win would be big security for him. I think he's got to go into these two road course, course races. Yeah thinking he needs to win because you don't want to be in a points battle going into Daytona. No matter how strong you've been all year, don't want to be in a points battle. So we're going to see how that ends up going, but it's going to be tough. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for me, I wasn't a big believer in him on getting in on points, but what I've seen lately is certainly somebody that can get in on points just because he's knocked down, you know, 20 points in the last two weeks. He's doing what everybody was like, okay, he just has to take 10 points away every single week. Well, he's doing that. And like you said, Michael McDowell is going to be tough for him. AJ Allmendinger is going to be up in front in these road courses. Shane Van Gisbergen, who's this complete wild card guy mm -hmm. from Australia who won the Chicago street course race. He's coming back for um, the Indianapolis road course race. He's not coming back. He's not going to be here for Watkins Glen, but no. Nah. Indianapolis road course race could throw a wrench into Chase Elliott's plans, certainly. Hendrick Motorsports, I believe the sport of NASCAR needs Chase Elliott in the playoffs. It will help, certainly. And he's only in this position because he had a six weeks off for his um, leg breaking. Um, he was off due to injury, and then he had a one-week suspension from the actions at Charlotte Motor Speedway when he wrecked Denny Hamlin seemingly on purpose that NASCAR deemed it. Yeah. Off to Michigan, the only two-mile super speedway left on the circuit um, on the schedule with Auto Club doomably gone, unfortunately. Um, who wins? Let's make some picks. Is it somebody like Kevin Harvick who won his first of two races last year back-to-back? -back? I know you certainly like that. Or is it Chase Elliott, maybe Alex Bowman, who certainly need wins? Take your pick. Yeah, you know, the thought that just came into my head is I think it's a 23-11 victory this weekend. That's the bold, that's the bold pick I'm going to put on because there's a lot of guys you can throw in this conversation. I'm going to say 23-11, short and simple. I think it's, a, I think more so Tyler Reddick. I think it's a Tyler Reddick race this weekend. They've shown a lot of speed. I think the big quote from them was that they've had a lot of speed, no execution. Uh, Richmond, a lot of speed, somewhat of an execution. Um, you know, Des probably didn't get the finish that they felt like they deserved, winning the pole, having a dominant race. So... Coming to Michigan, they've had a lot of speed. Seems like a Tyler Reddick type of track. I think 23-11 gets the victory. I think Toyota has a strong race, 23-11. Hey, Ford, prove me something. Show me something. Does a Penske car get victory lane? Does Kevin Harvick return to victory lane? Does RFK have another strong race? We'll see. But for right now, like I kind of said about you know, 15, 20 minutes ago, they need to prove me some more. I think it's a 23-11 weekend. I think Tyler Reddick's my race pick. On my side, it was a really tough pick. I do think the 45 car could be a contender, certainly be a contender, because how Toyota has run on the fast tracks. Danny Hamlin, Martrex Jr. are just for sure picks this season. I think William Byron can return to run up front. 
He's been good on higher speed racetracks. Wherever the 11 car and the 19 car is, Truex and Hamlin, he's kind of right around them. Those are the top three guys that I would say everybody has in their championship for. I know you said Chase probably won't get it done this weekend. I do think Chase Elliott will, only for the fact that this past weekend at Richmond, he made the top 10 in qualifying. He hasn't done it lately. And in practice, he showed a little bit of speed. He's never been fast off the truck. I think it's do or die moments where Hendrick is looking at the five car and the 24 car and how fast they've been week in and week out. And they might be giving some more stuff to that nine car to ensure that Chase has the best chance to make it in the playoffs. It sounds ridiculous, but we've seen it in the past with Hendrick. The five car when Casey Kane was there was not getting the best equipment. When SHR's 41 car started going down after Kurt Busch was there, probably not getting the best equipment with Cole Custer. Those are just assumptions. But you could see the speed. You can see the speed over time and at certain tracks when Kevin's fast and, and Cole wasn't there. The 5 and the 24 have definitely been the best drivers throughout the whole season and the fastest cars. We'll see where a Chase stacks out this weekend. But I think Chase, it just it sounds right. Chase wins in Michigan. Yeah. Four races left, three races after that. Yeah, I think, you know, it's do or die moment, really. I mean, I know these two road courses he hasn't won in a – next-gen car on a road course, so that's been tough. He hasn't won since 2021 on a road course, so I'd love to say he's going to get it done at Indy or he's going to get it done uh, at Watkins Glen where he's done it before in Watkins Watkins Glen, um, but I, I just don't see it happening. There's too many variables there. Yeah. And Michigan, Daytona, I could see him maybe winning at Daytona, but I'm going to take Michigan early. They're ready, and they really need a win, and I think Alan Gustafson, the crew chief, will throw everything at it. They do. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a track built on setups, how fast you can – tune that car uh, to go in it to go in its top speed one of the fastest tracks on the schedule so I, I, I like it i like it it's bold pick i feel like i'm going bold with tyler reddick i'm going bold with chase elliott i think it'll be interesting to see how this weekend pans out like you said road courses and nascar these days have uh you know added a lot of variables so we'll see what happens awesome so uh pretty much finished up the first inaugural episode of pace laps rj thank you for joining me is there anything else you want to say before we hop off yes sir anytime uh, you know glad to be on here glad to get this started uh the new the new podcast pace laps great to be up here in the studio um you know recording our first episode a lot of great things to talk about and it's only going to get more interesting playoffs are coming up a lot of things are going to happen tempos will be flaring races will be good i'm excited Definitely. And I, I know we didn't mention this before, but if anybody's watching the video version, this is currently at the Zimmerman School of Advertising um, at USF, where I'm a student and RJ's uh, as well as just being a huge fan of racing, pursuing a uh, career in motorsports, me and him both. So hopefully we're in front of a, a camera and on your TV soon or anything like that in the future. But for now, we're uh, we're starting this new podcast, Pace Laps, and we're very, very excited to cover each racing weekend. We appreciate you all for listening. This is a podcast made by the fans for the fans of motorsport and the love for America's number one racing series. We'll be back here next week to talk about what happened in Michigan and bring some topics to the table on whatever news came out this upcoming week. We'll catch you next week. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.